Hello and welcome to Soundwaves, the podcast of the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust. This is where we will share stories, go behind the scenes and stay in touch with everyone who has a relationship with the Trust. This is episode 7 and the season finale of Soundwaves. We're going to be taking a break for a few weeks and we're going to keep the podcast to blocks of episodes of 6 or 7 going forward. When we launched Soundwaves at the end of April, I don't think any of us expected so many people to listen, to share their love, to show their support. So from all of us at the Trust, thank you for coming on this journey with us and we can't wait for season 2. But before all that, we've got a very special guest for our finale. Dr. Dave Hoban is on the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust's Board of Trustees and is our medical consultant. He's also the chair of TIAC, which is the UK's professional association for those involved in the treatment, care and support of teenagers and young adults with cancer. As consultant paediatric oncologist at Birmingham Children's Hospital, he has been on the front lines over the last few months and is best placed to tell everyone what COVID-19 and lockdown means for young people going through and recovering from cancer. We are grateful to be chatting to him just as the Trust is putting together its programme of activities for the summer of 2020 and to talk about why young people are going to need us more than ever into 2021 and beyond. Dave, thanks so much for joining us this week. I think it'd be useful if you could just start by explaining what it is you do and how that relates to what you do with the Trust. Okay, hi Scott. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on. So this week's podcast. Uh, So basically, I'm a consultant in the NHS. I'm a paediatric oncologist uh, and I work at Birmingham Children's Hospital. So my day-to-day job is treating uh, young people up to the age of 16 in my hospital with a whole variety of solid tumours or cancers. So I don't do leukaemias and I don't look after young people with brain or spinal cord tumours, but I do everything else. Um, so yep, been here since 2003 and um, that basically uh, directly feeds into what I do with the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust. So um, I first was introduced to the trust uh, back in 2004 um, when it was just starting out. I then uh, stayed in contact with them and, and uh, was a, took a, the first group of young people down to, on a trip out of cows back in 2007. Um, I'm interested in sailing anyway, so there's clearly the inroad. But over the years, I I just basically very passionate about what we do. Um, As I uh, grew over the years, I I sort of got to know Frank uh, very well. We started to have lots of informal chats and I was keen to provide as much support from a medical point of view that I could for the trust and obviously it being my day-to-day job anyway I sort of ideally placed to do that um, and then uh, through those conversations and over the years and on continued support of the trust there I was very kindly invited um, to become a trustee um, in 2012 um, and my principal role as a trustee really is is to provide that medical input Um, to the more strategic aspects of what the trust does and what I try to do is help the guys in the operational teams uh, both uh, in north and south um, to guide and provide support for any medical issues uh, for the young people that we take each year. Obviously this year feels is very different for obvious reasons. 
if we could just talk a little bit about this year and things that have changed and things that you're considering, uh, you've played a big part in how the Trust has responded to COVID-19, as has Claire, another one of our trustees. All our trips are cancelled with the possibility of some activity later in the year if we're able to. Yeah. What kind of things were you considering in relation to how the Trust responded to the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, it, it's been an interesting experience. And, and um, I know it's a phrase that's well worn now, but th this is a, a very unique uh, time. Um, I, I know people use the word unprecedented and everybody gets nervous when we say that. But um, uh, certainly in my lifetime, you know, we've never experienced anything like this. So I, th I think it's very important that as a trust uh, and as a group of trustees, we were very much focused on, on what we felt was safe for young people. And as, as everybody will be aware, you know, we're learning all of the time about this new viral infection that appeared at the end of last year for the first time. So it's become, it's really difficult when you, you don't know a condition or you don't know uh, a problem intimately or that well to predict how things are going to work. And so as much as you want to continue to deliver what you can and offer young people the best opportunities we can when they're in recovery from the cancer experience, we have to be very mindful and we have to remain pragmatic and remain on the side of safety and caution. And I, I would probably say my, my reflections on it were that that's exactly what we were focused on. And, and because we don't know what's around the corner, it becomes difficult then to categorically say, well, we should be able to do this by such a time and so on and so forth. And, and to be fair, you only have to look at, you know, the, the, the daily briefings that come out of, of Westminster to, to really see how there's still an element of uncertainty about things. Um, so I, I think quite rightly as an organisation, we, we took a very clear decision that we had to do what was safe. We could not allow any, any uh, lack of, of, of thoroughness in that. Um, so I, I think it was a hugely difficult decision. And, and in all fairness, the ops teams, um, both North and South and, and Frank, have done an absolutely amazing job in steering the Ellen MacArthur Cancer Trust through this difficult time. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try and not use many sailing metaphors, but you know, steering the boat through through the rough water and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, it, yeah, it was a difficult decision to take, but absolutely uh, the right one to have to take. Um, and I think we're very clear, though, that you know that. We are absolutely optimistic that, you know, activity will resume at some point. If that is only next year, then it's only next year. But we've got a huge uh, and fantastic year then to look forward to and loads of fun and activities, uh, I'm sure. The, the idea of safety is really interesting because I think right now across the UK, especially, we've got different things coming from the devolved countries and what safety actually means. So when it comes to the safety of young people on trust trips, you know, what is it you are thinking about? Um, I, I think it, it's absolutely in my head, it's all about trying to minimise the risk of people um, being exposed to and, and getting this, this virus. You know, I mean, I have to accept that my experience and, and I think really the world's experience at the moment is certainly with children, you know, that they're, they're not getting this disease badly at all. 
Um, but that's fine, but we shouldn't allow that to lull us into a false sense of security. Um, so it really is about minimising that exposure for people. And of course, virtually all of the activities that the trust are engaged in, you know, you don't allow you to undertake all of the the precautions that, you know, government and Westminster are advising. So, yeah, clearly two metre um, social distancing on a boat means uh, you can probably have two people, you know, one at the bow, one at the aft end, and that's it. Um, so, you know, I, I think... I appreciate that it may be some people might look at what we've decided to do and go, well, you're being a bit overcautious, but actually that's okay in my book. <laughs> you know, I'd much rather do that uh, at the risk of, of obviously disappointing quite a lot of young people um, rather than be the complete flip side of that coin where we then end up having to deal with a COVID outbreak off the back of a trip. Uh, that would be the worst case scenario in my book. You sort of touched upon there the idea that actually COVID-19 hasn't, thank, thank goodness, been affecting mm. young people um, as much as other demographics, but it will still be affecting their experience in hospital at the moment, I imagine. So can you sort of lay out what, how this outbreak has affected the hospital experience for young people in cancer treatment? Yeah, sure, absolutely. I, I, and I think this probably will be different for everybody across the country because I, I, my experience is, is that we're all probably doing things a little bit differently. But, but overall, um, uh, those young people who have finished their cancer treatment um, will certainly experience a different interaction with the hospital. So most of us, and I, myself included, um, our usual clinics that we run where young people come up and might, might have previously seen us in hospital for a, you know, a six weekly or three monthly review visit. All of that's being done over video platforms or, or telephone conferences now. So um, people aren't having to come up to hospitals um, in the same way they did before. Um, anybody that does come into a hospital will see it working very differently. The, um, lots of people are now wearing personal protective equipment or PPE that, that, that's been talked about a lot. So, yeah, we, we, we all look very different because we've all got masks on when we're in clinical areas now. I think one of the things I would say, which I, I think is, is a good message for me, is that um, despite all of this, all of our treatments, so the young people who are actively on treatment, really haven't been impacted at all because we've been continuing to deliver our treatment as usual and as normal. Now that that's a bit different from the adult cancer services and, and it's possible that some of our um, over 18s may have experienced this where perhaps their treatment has been um, modified or perhaps delayed a little time, maybe a week or two weeks, just to take account of all of all of the things that are going on within the adult hospitals, who've certainly been impacted by this significantly more than certainly myself, for example, I work in a standalone children's hospital, so um, we, we have no adult patients uh, where I work. Um, so I, I think the fact that we've been able to continue to deliver treatments as planned and as scheduled, I think is is really good. Even in the adult services, I know my colleagues. Um, locally to me in Birmingham, the, the teenage and young adult services, the, they have been prioritising their young people to continue to have their treatments as planned. So uh, overall, in terms of that sort of impact, I, I think it will be minimal for young people. But the experience, Scott, as you alluded to, it is very different. It has been and I think will continue to be very different for a little while longer yet. 
I think that's interesting as well what you said about the idea once treatment's finished the relationship with the hospital will change as well you won't be going to the physical location you'll be having maybe a zoom call for example yeah. uh, and that in itself will change that post-treatment process and the post-treatment part is kind of where the trust comes into it so when we're thinking of the mental health of people in recovery has yeah. covid therefore had an impact on that as well uh, it, it must have had. I, I mean, I, I'd probably say I haven't witnessed it directly with any young patients of mine at this stage. But uh, what you do see, I, I guess you'd only have to reflect on, on those of us that aren't going through that treatment process or at the end of treatment. And what we've had to get used to in terms of lifestyle changes and the social distancing, the isolation. If you adding that complexity and those restrictions to you know, the COVID and, the, and other things that people are doing, that has got to have uh, an added weight to it. And a large number of young people will have been shielding, the, uh, the word that's been used, where essentially they, they have to isolate themselves in their own home and really not go out or do anything or meet anybody at all. That must uh, certainly have had a huge impact uh, and uh, although some of those rules and recommendations have been relaxed now, for some people, not all, then, um, yeah, I think we as a trust, uh, we may not get to see the real impact of that until we obviously open up some activities and because we, we then start to hear of what young people's experiences are. Um, I think that will be really interesting. So I, I think there will most definitely have been an impact um whether we get to pick that up as a trust i think will be something we won't learn or know for a little while yet i think it, it when we start to hear young people's stories and experiences of going through this either at the end of the cancer treatment or even during it um it will be really interesting to see what their reflections are i think you touched on the idea of shielding there as well which must have gone for almost three months at this point even though it started mm -hmm. to last a little bit um knowing what you know from your own professional experience and interactions with the trust what kind of things are people in recovery missing out on that are essential because they're shielding i mean I, I, it's got to be the social interaction I, I i would say first and foremost um you know we're also we're, we're social animals um you know we're, we're not designed um or to, to basically hibernate and, and, and stay uh, isolated all alone. Um, we need that communication, we need that interaction with, with our fellow humans. So this has got to be the key for me. And you only need to go on, a, on one of our trips and see what, how important that peer support, peer interaction is for young people in recovery to, to start to understand really what they're missing out on and one of the things that you know, we, we we can't provide for young people at the moment so um so yeah I, it, for me it, it is definitely got to be that interaction that interaction with your peers and even though you know we 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 say don't we young people are certainly more tech savvy than an old old goat like me but the even though those platforms still exist it is not the same world and it's not the same interaction so yeah, that, that will be the big one for me that people are missing out on. And from everything you've sort of talked about, and in, in what ways are young people going to need the trust more than ever for the rest of this year and into 2021 and beyond? 
I, I, again, I, I think it, it's to get us back to that position where, um, you know, we know that young people going through cancer treatments, you know, they often talk about, um, you know, how their normal peer relationships break down, how they feel isolated and so on and so forth. You know, we, we've just added to all of that with the restrictions that go with, with the COVID pandemic. So I think our ability to bring young people together at a time that is safe to do so, and, and again, though, the key thing for me about the trust is how we allow young people to come together who've had very similar experiences, have a same, similar backdrop to which they then build new friendships and new relationships and build a foundation for them to move on to another step for them is the key. And that's, um, that's what we're going to be doing. And um, yeah, I mean, when we can get back to doing that in whatever format that is, you know, whether that's yacht trips, whether that's just residential things, I don't, I don't think it matters. It's just that we can, we can provide that environment and we can provide that, that uh, opportunity for young people. I guess in normal times, you work in a field that is completely different from you personally. I work in, you know, in the large office. I see the trip, I see the Monday to Thursday, and that's kind of the experience I get with the young people. You obviously see a much more longer term in what trust support can help someone with. Could you sort of broadly explain what that kind of difference is? Yes, I mean, I, I, I've talked before about how it provides a foundation. Um, you know, I, I don't know how best to put it in words sometimes, to be honest. Um, but, you know, clearly having a diagnosis of cancer when you're young, having the treatment and the experiences young people go through, is life changing? It, it, you're you're never going to be the same after that that you were before. And people sometimes really have a difficulty in in moving on to what's next. And I say getting back to normality, but again, it's a new normal. Another phrase that's used hugely around the pandemic scenario. But what the trust does, and what I see, so I I see young people. I see them go through treatment. I see the huge impact it has on them. Um, how it changes them in a way um, and, and when they're finished I see them in clinic we try and get them integrated into the usual activities and, and some young people struggle with that the trust gives them an opportunity to do that in a, in a way that's unique so so for most people I mean we talk about principally what we do our sailing trips so the vast majority of young people that I see through my clinics will have never been on a boat before they'll have never sailed so it's a, it's, a, it's a very different experience from what most young people are offered. It provides a, a, a unique environment and it allows them to take those first steps very often to re-establish how they build relationships with their peers, how they build their confidence again, which then I think is a natural flow from that, is, is that they then feel empowered to be able to start to think about what the next steps are for them in their lives and how they take those next steps. And I, I guess to get folks coming back, you know, I'll suggest them, oh, why don't you have a think about going on a trip? Let me introduce you to the trust. So, and you tell them, room, boats, not really, not sure, not quite, a bit nervous. You see them months after they've done a trip and they're buzzing about it. They've, they've got something about them that wasn't there before. And certainly when I've taken young people on trips myself as the volunteer medic, you know, I, the amazing thing is always that sense. Everybody meets up, 
you know, before you go, nobody speaks to each other. It's all very quiet. You know, you have several hours traveling to your, your you know, your, your departure point, yeah, maybe one or two words. Um, yeah, four days later, everybody's best of friends. Everybody's talking to each other. Um, it's not a quiet trip home. And yeah, it, 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 the change is, is dramatic. It's huge. And, um, and, and vast majority of those young folks will be able to take that and build on that and, um, and, and move on very, very successfully to the next step of, of whatever their life is. Now, I hate to spring this on you, but every episode of Sound Waves ends with either best bit, worst bit or funniest bit about to do with the trust. Uh, I won't ask for all three, but do you have one off the top of your head, either a worst bit, hopefully not a worst bit, a best bit or a funniest bit? Um, I, I, I don't really have a worse bit, to be honest. I don't, I've never had a bad experience with, with the trust. Um, best bits is really difficult. Um, I, I've had so much fun working with the trust. Um, I have to be honest and say I was lucky enough to do my first trip from Largs um, last year. And I, I, you, have a, you live in a stunning part of the country. You know, we didn't have good weather but we had an absolute ball. It was fantastic. I, had, I really love my time out of Larks. I'm not saying that just because you're interviewing me. Uh, you know, fair play to the bagpipes that we uh, that, that were played then as well. I said, so I, be, difficult, the Round Britain experience as well. I was lucky enough to be part of that um, when we were doing that. And I uh, did a couple of legs. Um, I joined the boat in Hollyhead, sailed into Liverpool, which I have to confess, um, was one of my life goals being from that part of the world I love that city um, and I'd always wanted the idea of sailing into the city uh, down the Mersey which I got to do I should have been heading off then to uh, from Liverpool over to Belfast but sadly the weather uh, got in the way storm Brian I think it was decided to pay us a visit we couldn't do that so that's probably another a, a disappointing bit not worst bit but disappointing Dave, thank you so much for joining us this week on Sound Waves and thank you for all you do with the Trust as well. Uh, no, thanks very much, Scott. Great to talk to you. Um, yeah, I hope everybody stays safe and well and I'm really looking forward to us getting back to business, as uh, shall we say, in, uh, in due course. And that's it for this week. Thanks again. Go to Dr Dave Hoban and to you for joining us. I also want to thank the players of People's Postcode Lottery as well, whose support allows the Trust to do so much more than it could do without them. Each episode of this Soundwaves podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so please do follow and subscribe and rate us if you want to hear more from us, and we will share the link to listen to each episode on our social media too. Soundwaves will be back in a few weeks with more chats, more interviews, letting you know what's happening at the Trust and so much more. Until then, take care.